0: I'm Ian. And I'm Chris. And this is Eggs and Espionage. The origins of James Bond.
1: I really don't like like throwing like getting backstory in there that way. Because he starts off the chapter. As two weeks later, James Bond awoke in his room at the yeah. hotel indeed some of this history passed through his mind <laughs> like he, he woke up thinking about all the, the the important plot details i need to give you so the story makes sense <laughs> all right moving forward <laughs> he started it with he he started with that chapter that you know as you do you want to start with a more interesting part get people interested that's why i started with him wandering around like being all
0: the soul crushing how does he say it the soul erosion produced by high gamble. Yeah,
1: exactly Oh, gambling. Secret agent, right? Okay, now why is he
0: here? Why is he yeah. A couple chapters. He, who's he going after? A flashback. <laughs> and um, then he... Him, <laughs> going back to, what are we, chapter four here? So I love that right away, by chapter four, which is only the second narrative chapter in this story, his cover's already blown.
1: His cover's blown. He's eating bacon and eggs, and he's getting real sexist. And it's, it's amazing. <laughs> and
0: you know, then just, he, he learns about Vesper being his number two... Right, right. but there's this whole scene Well, there's a cool spycraft
1: scene, right? It must have been amazing at the time But, like, this is, like, the first time where They're recording They're recording the sound in the room And hanging, like, big microphones down the wall Or, like, the laundry shafts To be, like, right next to his room And listening upstairs And so his new character comes in It's his contact in France, um, Mathis and math works for the duchem yeah the french french uh, secret service Service. and so he comes in and and he sets up like you know this whole charade i'm here to sell you a radio sir good to meet you i'm a radio sales wireless i out this radio yeah this wireless and so he turns it up real loud and like blows out the eardrums of the eavesdroppers upstairs and then introduces the idea of bond's assistant sent down from his own secret service in london
0: Who's a woman. Well, oh, God, there's a whole tirade of sexist James, stuff. James just goes on a rant <laughs> <laughs> when he is that his assistant to be a woman. So we got to set the scene for people. So, the very first description of her first of all, and he, Mathis, uh, inhaled a thick lungful of corporal. You will be pleased with your number two. She is, quote, very beautiful. And then they end quote say, Bond frowned. Bud's already disappointed. <laughs> I mean,. Very beautiful indeed, satisfied with Bond's reaction mm-hmm. <laughs> right why is she even involved? she's just he's got black hair, blue eyes, splendid er, protuberances back and front. so she's clearly got nice tits and nice ass, blue eyes, and black hair. Oh and she's a wireless expert, which though sexually less interesting this is all quoted from the book, makes her a perfect employee for a, for a radial stentor like
1: I mean barely even relevant. Barely.
0: But the TNA pod.
1: I mean, this is like the Mad Men era of co-workers, right?
0: Oh, for sure. But you wonder, like, well, what did she even have to do to get to this level? I mean, this is like 1951, 52. This woman had to do, be something amazing more than just protuberances.
1: Well, no, she was a secretary over at headquarters. And she learned some stuff. I mean, basically, going back to what we were talking about, it's not about your skill so much as your ability to exist and last until your luck comes out, right? So she just avoided getting married or getting pregnant from one of her coworkers until she finally got a good gig. Boom. That is Vesper.
0: We know she's black hair, blue eyes, splendid protuberances back (laughs) and front. And by the way, she's a wireless expert.
1: Right. Which is kind of important. But when Mathis leaves the room and he's left alone with his own thoughts, that's when he really gets down to it. Because he starts, with, he's in his own thoughts and he's like getting ready for this job ahead of him. And he says, I quote, the Russians had no stupid prejudices about murder. And then there was this pest of a girl. He sighed. Women were for recreation. On the job, they got in the way and fogged things up with sex and hurt feelings and all the emotional baggage they carried around. One had to look out for them and take care of them.
0: Bitch. <laughs> <laughs> uh. He doesn't even know her yet. She's a bitch just because she fogs things up with sex. I love, I love the assumption that because there's a somewhat good-looking woman, this guy just assumes, like, well, I'm going to have to fuck her, Ian. Mm-hmm. What am I supposed to do? I mean, she's got mm-hmm. protuberances.
1: Foggy protuberances. Just she's going to
0: fog shit up with sex. He takes no ownership over the fact that he might fuck her. It's all her fault mm-hmm. for being there. And then the emotional baggage. I mean, come on. You're going to make me fuck you there, and then cry. give me all this
1: emotional baggage. That being pregnant. Ooh, boo, hoo, hoo. <laughs> <laughs> He's secret. probably assuming
0: only men were reading this anyway, right?
1: Yeah, and he was also a closeted homosexual who was overcompensating.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Which is unsubstantiated, right? <laughs> I this is Ian Marvitti's take on Ian Fleming. <laughs> so he says bitch and then remembering so the family upstairs that is recording everything the Munces
1: the eavesdroppers
0: he remembers they're listening so he just says bitch again even more loudly for Mm -hmm. their amusement and then walks out of the room bounces and what's great is even as the story continues and Bond starts to like fall in love with this woman and like respect her somewhat it's still almost purely about physical attraction there's nothing about her intellectually, I don't think. I might be proven wrong as we go through each chapter mm-hmm. here. But I don't have anything on the tip of my tongue yeah. to
1: respond to that. But, chapter four ends him ranting about women in general. How exhausting anyway. it is to have to save the world and pleasure every woman that gets sent down right. from headquarters. I mean, headquarters...
0: Dragging him up. He's trying world. to do a job here and now he has to go have sex with somebody.
1: I know, right? It's just rude. Because she showed up with her protuberances. Frankly... It's rude and uncalled for. <laughs> oh well. So the next oh.
0: chapter, Bond meets Lind, right? We already know his opinions about her.
1: Yeah, and then they meet. They have um, a, a luxurious little cocktail afternoon.
0: But and even so- Fleming as a narrator only refers to her as the girl throughout most of this chapter. It's true. Not, she's not yeah. even Vesper. She's not Miss Lind. She's just the girl. Yep. And then apparently after like they detail what she looks like and Bond is smitten with her uh protuberances, mm-hmm. they start to refer to her to her as a woman.
1: It's this probably for the best. I I do like that they bring up uh Bond's car in this chapter his only personal hobby was a Bentley. Uh yeah, a Ford-
0: 1939 <laughs> with, Bentley,
1: with a supercharger.
0: Not in yeah. Aston Martin, as many people right like might Aston think. Martin's
1: years away,
0: and actually that comes
1: up too with his um his weaponry. He pu- he pulls out the uh, Beretta, is the Beretta pistol, not the Walter PPK pistol. Oh. Does that
0: even come up in the books? The Walter PPK. Beretta?
1: I don't know if it comes up in the books. I think it was actually something they
0: did away within the movies pretty early on. To just modernize the movies? Well, even, even the most famous drink from this book, we'll see, is not, not what they make it in the movie. Little sidebar here. Those are the, like, weird poetic poetic license that uh, I don't understand why they take. Like, there's this perfectly great description about how to make this drink that Bond wants, and they just decide to change that for reasons I don't... Those are the things I don't understand. Or just I in general in the movies, it's like the stupid not The
1: quality it was in that era.
0: They no, you, and probably nobody knows yeah. what Lillette is, but... Yeah,
1: exactly. So it's just modernizing it so it sounds appropriately fancy to our ears.
0: But that shit drives me... Like, even in the... So they play, what, Texas Hold'em, right? No Limit Texas Hold'em mm-hmm. in the Daniel Craig film. They're playing Baccarat here. Now, I don't know how to play rat, but I would still enjoy a movie where they're playing rat.
1: You can watch any of the old James Bond movies and they're playing rat.
0: I don't... Are they? Yeah. You know those movies better than I do, so...
1: Oh, yeah, you gotta do your homework. They're all on Netflix now, actually, by the way. Get out to Netflix, and they have the whole collection.
0: Even that, why start with Dr. No? Those are things I never understood either. Why make that the first film?
1: I don't know. But, yeah, so, Chapter 5, Mathis meets Bond at, uh, at like, a little French cafe, and they have drinks. Bond drinks an Americano.
0: It's a little nod to nostalgia, which... Here's a guy living in the 50s, which is a time period we're... We're trying to make America again, right? Um, and he's nostalgic for basically, you have to assume, the 20s or the 30s. right? He says, Brighton had been revived since the mm-hmm. war, and Nice. Nostalgia for more spacious golden times might be a source of revenue.
1: Kind of have to dig into the history of those things.
0: Everywhere he goes is never as good as it was 10 years before.
1: Mm-hmm. I think we all just view things through our own aging. As you get older, everything seems worse no matter what. But um, in the middle of Chapter 5, there's a couple of lines that I particularly... On page 32, when he first meets Vesper, quote, Bond felt her presence strongly. The prospect of working with her stimulated him.
0: <laughs> <laughs> with her perturbances, yeah. Exactly.
1: So, you know, you, as soon as he sees her, he starts getting a little foggy. He was quite honest with himself about the hypocrisy of his attitude towards her. As a woman... He wanted to sleep with her, but only when the job had been done. There
0: she goes, fogging up his mind with sex. He is
1: it's, a professional.
0: It's not his fault he's stimulated by her.
1: Yeah. Um. But, yeah, this chapter, basically, they introduce her and they set up that she's a love interest and they foreshadow uh, that James Bond's going to fall in love with her and it's going to be different this time.
0: Well, just the amount of physical description they give to Vesper. Yeah. That I guess they, they do kind of to Le Chivre too, but more from like a pragmatic, here's the dossier to M about Le mm-hmm. But he spends like a whole paragraph framing her face to below the clear and beautiful line of her jaw. Mm-hmm. Although it was heavy and moved with the movements of her head, she did not constantly pat it back into place, but let it alone.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It says, after it says the prospect of working with her stimulated him... At the same time, he felt a vague disquiet. On an impulse, he touched wood. The fuck does that mean?
1: <laughs> it means he was worried that he's going to fall in love with her. What does to touch board wood do? Off. You don't touch wood? I touch wood all the time. That's my superstition.
0: Knock on wood because like, you want something to happen. Do you I knock, knock on wood for the I wrong reasons? So.
1: Well, he's knocking on wood because he's scared that she's going to fall in love with her. He doesn't want it to happen and by thinking about it he he seems like he's going to set it up for himself so he touches wood so that he won't ruin it for himself. Touching wood's not about you wanting something it's about not ruining the thing that you realize. It's like I can see this thing happening but now that I'm aware of it like it's not going to happen so I better touch wood. going to knock. Yeah, but or right. it could also be something that you're scared of happening and you're like now that I like can see this possibility that it's not going to happen I I better touch wood just to ward off that chance.
0: So do you think he's touching wood? You don't think he's touched mode because he's stimulated by it, like he, hey, holy shit! I, I, hope, I hope I get to fuck her.
1: No, he he knows he's gonna fuck her. <laughs> I don't think he ever had any question about that. No, I think it's more about the what Mathis says. I quote: He smiled. I don't think Bond has ever been melted. It will be a new experience for him and for you. Uh, they're they're just setting up that she's a love interest. It's gonna be totally new. For him to fall in love and actually care about a woman. That's how I read it.
0: Also worth noting, it's the very probably the only real description of Bond. He says, he reminds me, this is Mathis talking, he's very good looking, or maybe Vesper. He reminds me rather of Hoagie Carmichael, Mm -hmm. but there's something cold and ruthless in his dot, dot, dot. For those who don't know, Hoagie Carmichael was a songwriter in like the 20s, 30s, and 40s, wrote, keeps Georgia on my mind.
1: Did you look at a picture of him?
0: On the Wikipedia page about Casino Royale, they have a nice picture of Hoagie. He's what you expect. He looks like your stately, slender white man with black hair, mm-hmm. greased back, and a dapper hat. But I just love that all the waxing poetic he goes through to describe Vesper, eh, he reminds me of Hoagie Carmichael. But evil. Almost reminds you of when they describe Moneypenny, right? Like he would have been desirable, but there's something cold and ruthless in him. hmm so, but some of the lifestyle stuff here, uh, you mentioned the car, so he's, he's a Bentley fan. Oh, and I was wrong. It's not a 39, it's a 33. 33. 33 Bentley with a four and a half liter. Was one of the last of the four and a half liters. So he loves this idea of like, it's unique. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of these out there, it's only mine. He drove it hard and well with almost sensual pleasure. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's very sexual. So you mentioned the Americano inexhaustible quarter bottles of champagne, the women dry martinis. So men were drinking champagne, women dry martinis in this place. Um, When he talks about smoking, talks about Vesper smoking, or the girl, uh, drawing the smoke deeply into her lungs with a little sigh and then exhaling it casually through her lips and nostrils. What a great way to paint the scene, but I love how he's just turned on by the way she smokes a cigarette. Makes me kind of want
1: to smoke a cigarette.
0: I almost bought a pack just for this conversation. Mm-hmm. The only right, so
1: he, reason... leaves, he leaves lunch feeling pretty cocky, and he's walking back to his hotel, and he's thinking his own thoughts. He's being very present in the moment. Uh, right. He's hungry. He notices two men quietly under a tree across the street exactly two men with very specific outfits that don't quite match and he's thinking you know he he's like, immediately spots them as as spies and he's and he's like so cocky about the whole thing and he's like, kind of making fun of them and like in his head these two bumbling idiots with their red camera and their blue camera
0: it's all it's and, funny it's like some of the spy scenes are so specifically ian fleming right like his experience in the secret service and then other stuff just feels so hokey.
1: Yeah. It's like five versus five. All of a sudden, kablam. And he's like on the ground. He's like vomiting all over himself. Like he smells like burning flesh. He describes like the crater and the ruin and like the screams and stuff. Bond is just like knocked to the ground and then Mathis runs out, grabs him. And and this this is the part I really like about it. Mathis just grabs him after he's been the victim of a bomb attack drags him up to his room and orders lunch for him. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, you must be hungry.
0: Get Just a drink rest. and some lunch and rest.
1: He's like, don't worry, I called the police and told them not to worry about you.
0: Like, <laughs> I love that it's his first, right? Later, as Bond was finishing his first straight whiskey on the rocks, mm-hmm. and contemplating the pâté foie de gras, or de foie gras, pâté de foie gras, I can't even pronounce that next one.
1: His goose livers and lobster. Goose. <laughs>
0: pate de foie. I bo- love just the first straight whiskey, implying that he's going to have many more straight whiskeys.
1: Yeah, while he's eating pate and lobster. Respect. He did almost get blown up. So yeah. you treat treat yourself. Also, he did almost get blown up, so go to the hospital, because they literally describe the symptoms of a concussion. He has a concussion, He got to the ground, hit his head, and then got super nauseous and started vomiting. That's what you do when you have a he has a concussion right now. Go to the hospital.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, he gets wrong with you. Lobster. (laughs) And some straight whiskey. And then reminds himself to tip the waiter doubly for this particular meal. I'm gonna tip the shit out of this waiter. Yeah, he's got a concussion, he's got the sense of euphoria
1: that's (laughs) undue. Double
0: tip. And then
1: Mademoiselle Lind calls him
0: yeah the bitch or the girl or the woman by this point are you all right? yes quite I'm glad please take care of yourself click (laughs) thanks for that call I got a whiskey I got foie gras good (laughs) I'm good um Bond has a thing about picking out pieces of toast doesn't he like here he says he then picks up his knife and selected the thickest piece of hot toast the dude like loves spreading shit on toast
1: I think you're talking shit about toast (laughs) it's <laughs> oh, I can't have that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Put my foot down here. I'm yeah, telling you, he, it comes he up again. In chapter eight. He talks about the crispy bread and the like caviar I think, right? Yeah, the
1: hardest part about caviar is getting enough toast with it.
0: Well, I mean so much of the
1: stuff he eats is like super simple. It's just like really mm-hmm. high quality. But like sometimes it's just like lobster and toast. The meal he has at the end of um one of the books is it's just lobster and mayonnaise and i was like that's it yeah like she's like i made mayonnaise and call lobsters now let's have sex on the beach (laughs) that's like how the book ends
0: lobster mayonnaise always gets me randy you know for sure that sounds amazing no it's true i mean again scrambled eggs bacon and coffee eggs and espionage is produced and engineered by flashback productions music in this episode is brought to you by puppies don't make this kind of love i am your host chris and on behalf of myself and ian want to thank you for listening to this second episode of our review of ian fleming's casino royale the first of the james bond novels in the next episode we continue to explore casino royale going through chapters seven and eight we meet bond's u.s counterpart for the first time learn about Bond's passion for toast, and take a very extra special look at the drink that would define the spy, all coming up next time on Eggs and Espionage, The Origins of James Bond.